Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. Damon Nahas is the associate head coach for the University of North Carolina women's soccer team. Damon Nahas is an ECNL championship coach. He is the developer of the Next Level Academy and has produced so many incredible players, too many to count. Damon Nahas has a story to tell, and we're here to listen as Damon Nahas joins me next on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country. With a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean. This is Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, and I'm so pleased to be joined today by the associate head coach for the University of North Carolina women's soccer team, Damon Nahas. Damon Nahas, by the way, played for NC State from 92 to 95, really good teams during that time. He has been in North Carolina, but he's also been a U.S. soccer national team coach as well. We'll get into that. And he has won some big-time titles with the ECNL, and that's why he's on the ECNL podcast called Breaking the Line. Damon Nahas, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dean. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Damon. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you ended up at NC State from 92 to 95, but where were you before that? I grew up in New York. So how I got there, it's hard to even explain. All I can say is George Tarantini recruited me. He was big in recruiting in in Region 1. So all of a sudden on a Monday, i never forget, it was a Monday afternoon. I got a call from a strong accent guy from Argentina saying he came to a game and really wanted me to come visit. And all of a sudden, I was on a visit. And the next thing you know, I was at NC State. So obviously, there's a lot in between in that story. But yeah, so George Tarantini, um, everything, the reason why I'm here today is because of George Tarantini. Well, George Tarantini, of course, the late, great George Tarantini, a legend of the game. He was great friends with Bora Milutinovic, the 94 U.S. World Cup team. So you probably even saw George with Bora since you were playing during that time. I remember being with the national team and training in the triangle. Do you remember during the 94 World Cup when the U.S. team was around the NC State team? You remember that at all, Damon? For whatever reason, I don't know if he shielded us from them. I don't know. But I remember, obviously, the 94 World Cup clearly, but uh, not when they were around us at all. All right. But George Tarantini, he was very eccentric as well. I mean, you guys got tons of stories, right? When when he passed away, I mean, there were so many tears shed, but so many laughs and, and smiles about the kind of man that he was, right? It's incredible. Anyone that's crossed his path has a George Tarantini story. We just so happen to have a lot more. When he passed, Obviously, it was um, devastating for everyone. And then we had a great gathering as all the players got together in downtown Raleigh. And we had a a speaker and a microphone and everyone stepped up and told a 
a George Tarantini story and you couldn't do it without an accent. So it was a celebration of his life. And, and it just, when that all happened, it realized the impact that he had on all of, all of us and, and how he brought us all together. So um, yeah, he's, he's a really unique, but yeah, there are stories. Some I can share, some I can't share, um, but yeah. There's, there's some good stories out there. Well, one story I know you can share kind of ties it all together here on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, is I think about one of your four captains on the North Carolina team, and we'll learn the, the route that took you there. But I want to go ahead and get one more George Tarantini story in there because Tori Hansen scored the big goal against Washington last year in the Sweet 16. You coached her on her ECNL team. Now you coach her at North Carolina and you kind of tied it together with a George Tarantini story right before she went into the game to score that winner against Washington. Can you share that little bit of that story? Yeah, well, it's not the same story because I, I feel like all of us gain different things from our coaches, right? So how he went about it was a little bit different, but I used it. And basically what happened was Tori was going in against Washington. She was getting subbed in and actually happened to be on a corner kick. And basically just share with her, you know, she worked so hard and she's so good on corner kicks and she just had not scored one yet. And then I said, basically, go get, this is the goal, go get the winner. And lo and behold, on that corner kick, she scored the game winner to, uh, to advance us to the uh, Elite Eight. However, that's not quite how it played out in my story. We were playing a midweek game at NC State. We were playing a team that we were the better team. We had a ton of opportunities, weren't scoring. One thing about Tarantini, he always, I was playing on the outside in the seventh position, the outside forward. And he always wanted made to make sure that our outside forwards got to the far post, no matter what. Well, one, one of our teammates shot the ball, and I swear, Dean, it must have shot it from like 30 yards out. And there's no chance of me getting to the far post. Anyway, the ball goes across the far post, goes out of bounds, and, and Tarantini was screaming at me to get to far post in his accident. He's like, far post, Damien, far post. He's screaming at me. So I was kind of annoyed. I was just, he kept doing it. And lo and behold, I looked at him. And I said, fine. I basically said to myself, fine. And I just turned and sprinted to the far post. And I was at midfield. The ball wasn't even going in there, Dean. Mm -hmm. And um, I just ran far post. And I was just doing because I was annoyed. I kept getting told to go far post. Well, of course, you know what happens. Simon Weiss out of St. Louis, evidently, who I didn't even know had the ball at the time, starts dribbling down the left side and takes people on. I'm not even paying attention. The last second, I'll post the far post. I picked my head up and literally I finished it, but I basically ran into it and scored the game winner. And all of a sudden I'm running back and I'm like, of all times, I didn't want to score. This was the moment. <laughs> and of course, after I scored the goal, all I can hear was Damien, that's my goal. That's what he was shouting to me. That's my goal. And he didn't even, at that time he was, you know, he did it. Uh, he didn't even call me by my first name. He would call me Damien. So, um, yeah, all I can hear him saying on his knees and just basically taking credit for the goal that I just scored. But there was there was a hidden message behind it all. But of all times, that was the one time I, I don't think I really wanted to score a goal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I learned my lesson on that day to get to the far post. So anyway, a little bit different, but kind of similar in regards to what he was asking of me. Well, and the best part about your closing to that story is we got ready to call UNC in several games, actually, as I'm doing like five of your first six games, which has been awesome to spend time with you and Anson, which is a really just great chemistry between the two of you is, you know, you definitely told Tori, that's her goal, not not your goal. You went the other way and the, and the right way. Right, Damon? Yeah, yeah, right. And, and that was and it's funny, years later, Tarantini and I had an opportunity years and years later to spend a lot of time together just during the year when he was getting ready to retire. 
and it was so valuable that that whole experience to realize how the connection you had, even though it was really a coach player relationship, but the amount of the time that we had, I shared that story with him when we had that time together and we just laughed about it. There was something behind the madness that he had and it really brought the best out of us if you had a strong mentality. So I really appreciate what he did for me. Obviously he was your coach. Let's talk about when you knew you wanted to be a coach because what you've done at Next Level, what you've done at Castle, now North Carolina FC and the North Carolina Courage, and now what you've done with the U.S. soccer as well. And of course now being the associate head coach at UNC. Damon Nayas, when did you know you wanted to be a coach and a leader and not just any kind of coach, a coach that wanted to do this individual training, this technical, tactical training, the breakdowns that you do at next level. People talk about it all the time. It's amazing. When did you know you wanted to do all of that? It wasn't something that uh, I had planned, to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of players that, that might play in college. You know, in the summertime, you work the camps for the university. And that was kind of really my starting point in regards to like just working with kids. And I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. And then towards the latter part, it was really in 1998 started doing some clinics for kids and I really started to enjoy it. And really, honestly, it didn't, I didn't have a plan for it. It just kind of did it. A group of kids had asked me to work with them and, and that's what I did. And it was really no attachment. It wasn't like I was subbing them in and out or having to deal with, you know, parents at that time and figure out, you know, navigate that. I didn't even know if I wanted to do it. I just knew that some of the kids wanted to work with me. And then slowly but surely, I started a friend of mine who I played with in New York, his brother, was the head coach at Cardinal Gibbons High School. It was at the old Cardinal Gibbons High School here in Raleigh. He had called me and said, hey, would you want to assist me um, at the high school on the men's team? And while you do that, you know, would you start the JV program for me? And we can kind of go from there. So I did. I started the JV program with him and worked with him. And actually, a really funny story. At the time, I went in and interviewed. I want to say it was at uh, maybe Sanderson, maybe, or Millbrook, one of the schools in Raleigh. And I had interviewed for the job there, the JV job there. Cardinal Gibbons was an option as well. And this is not a joke. It was a toss up between whether I was gonna go and coach at the public school or the private school. <laughs> Dean, the reason I selected the private school was because in order to coach at the public school, you had to get a license to drive the big bus. <laughs> at the private school, you just had the, the shorter buses and you didn't have to have the, uh, a higher license. So I took it because I didn't want to have to deal with the big bus. <laughs> so I coached at, at Cardinal Gibbons and for a year worked with the JV. And then a year later, uh, they moved to the new school and they offered me the uh, head coaching job at Cardinal Gibbons for the men's team. I did that. And that really kind of got my juices flowing in regards to wanting to do that. And then that's when I really started my academy with the young kids. In 98 is when I, I started the, the program, but to be honest with you, I didn't have any vision of it becoming like an academy. It was just me working with kids. Fast forward, in 2000 is when I really developed it. 12 nine-year-old boys that I work with. I was a director of soccer at an indoor facility, uh, which I have my academy at still today. And I had 12 boys that I worked with, and I just once a week worked with them, and I just, I didn't charge them anything. It was just me kind of training them. And really, it was the best thing I did unintentionally because all I did was kind of refine like the details of the technical work and, and what my vision was and, and whether or not kids or these kids really enjoyed it or embraced it. And when people ask me about my journey and starting off, I would say the biggest challenge for people out there and the best thing I did was I didn't really coach a team. And what I did is I found my voice as a coach through my training these young kids because I was a player. I didn't really have a coaching voice. I found it through this group of 12 nine-year-old boys. 
you know, Nazmi Abadawi, who plays for the NCFC pro team, was one of the first boys I ever coached through my academy. So I would always give advice to say coaches to find their voice and who they are. Otherwise, they kind of like flounder around sometimes and they kind of cater to what everybody else is doing and they don't really find what their voice is as a coach. So that was really valuable for me. And that's where I kind of gained my, my focus on the detail of technical, which helped me out down the road. And so when did you then know that you also had this unique ability to coach young girls and future stars, right? Like now that you're coaching at University of North Carolina, when did you make that transition to also coaching girls? I was overseeing at the time it was Castle. I was overseeing the, the youth program for them. And it was both the boys and the girls. So I was based, I was a director of the YTS program back in the day. So I had a chance to work with the boys and the girls. And at the same time, I always had a boys team and a girls team. And the one thing that was really interesting is I, I would always coach the boys. If I had two sessions a night, I always coached them first. Because the boys were naturally did things. They just were creative. Uh, they had no fear. And then what I was able to do is take that picture of what I saw and create that same type of visual or session for the girls. And I knew the girls can do it. I just had to kind of create it for them at that time. And then what I learned from the girls is they all, they so badly, they worked so hard. They were so diligent. They, they wanted to learn. They were so receptive to things. Their progression and their development was a lot faster. And I just really started to really appreciate their attention to the detail. And then learning at that time, how truly competitive they were. We just wanted to be different at that time. So that was a really good experience. So that was the early on stage. I still had the boys and the girls. And then it was really at the U14, I had the 94, 95 age group that was with uh, Castle. We played in the ECNL. At that time was the year that I made a decision to stick with the girls side. When they were U14s is when I had the opportunity to get with US soccer. I was one of the, the Federation's coaches and I decided to stay on that side because I was dedicating myself to the women's game at that point. Well, again, let's tell that story because Christian Labors, the president and CEO who normally joins us on these podcasts as well, tells the story about how Jill Ellis, he remembers Jill Ellis watching you conduct a training session and being so impressed and wild and kind of going back to what you said about having a voice and you had a voice and, and she noticed it. What do you remember about that time when Jill Ellis approached you and said, hey, I want you to coach one of these youth national teams because what an honor. Really, it started, it was, an, uh, ECNL had their ID2 camps, right? And uh, Christian and, and the staff invited me to be part of their staff down in Florida. And they were having an ID2 camp, and it was basically bringing some of the best players uh, that were part of the ECNL clubs down there. We had, you know, a three-day period where we got to work with them. That's where it started. And at the time, uh, Jill was uh, the technical director for the Federation when she left uh, UCLA. And she was there, and she was observing kind of you know, scouting and just looking at players and all sorts of things as she was trying to create the template for the youth programs. That's when I was running the sessions. And I really, you know, I met, I met Jill there. We kind of interacted a little bit prior because some of my players were interested in UCLA when she was there. But when I got to that camp in Florida is where really I got to meet her. And she, she watched some of my sessions evidently. And uh, next thing I know, I was, uh, she reached out to me and uh, invited me to come into a, uh, a camp with her. Uh, the first age group was a 96-born age group that we had a camp out in California, and we did it kind of together. Jill brought me out there, and I kind of got to experience the camps and what it was. She was kind of picking my brain about, you know, the youth development because I've been with the, the young kids for so long. It just kind of was a domino effect from there. They brought me into a U, the big U14 camp that was always held in Portland at the University of Portland, and we brought 82 players in. And one of those players, it was a 99, no, I'm sorry, 97-born camp 
uh, with scatterings of 98 born players. And in that camp actually was the, I want to say it was the first camp that Mal Pugh was in because Mal was at that camp uh, with so many other great players that came during that time. I got there a little bit early and everyone was there. I mean, everyone on the U.S. Federation staff from the educational parts of it. And all of a sudden I was doing a training session before the actual camp started. I was doing a training session with a group of U14 boys and everyone was there. They were filming it. And, and, and then basically after it, we got in a room and it was kind of an educational thing for everyone. And they were critiquing it and putting things in, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, fast forward a few days later in the camp, Jill came to me and they offered me the U15 national team coaching position. So uh, I have a lot of appreciation for Jill believing me and seeing something in me. And you just never know when, when someone might be watching or observing, whether you're a player or a coach. And I, uh, I appreciate that. And I appreciate Christian and the rest of the staff for giving me the opportunity to go out there. We're here with Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast with Damon Nahas, the associate head coach for the University of North Carolina women's soccer team. Still ties to NCFC and the North Carolina Courage, the former NC State Wolfpack star, and also Next Level Academy. We're going to take a break and be back with more Damon Nahas on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade, the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Dean Linky going one-on-one -on -one with Damon Nahas, the associate head coach for the University of North Carolina, as we just learned. Also coached with the U.S. Soccer Youth System, started the Next Level Academy, and has been a long time associated with North Carolina FC and the North Carolina Courage Academy program. And Damon, one of the things that Christian also mentioned, you kind of talked about it, is Part of your mission there, ECNL was doing coaching education as well, which kind of opened the door to Jill. It might have been at that ID camp. It might have been separate. But talk about the ECNL and what they've done for coaching education. As I know you've learned with so many different coaching education platforms, but clearly the ECNL opened some doors for you. Yeah, no question. The thing that was great, I mean, for me with the ECNL back in the day in the original ECNL days, the platform changed so much because there were so many clubs in it. There were different tiers back in the day. You were part of different showcases. It, it just evolved. And as after the first couple of years, the Federation, and it really started when, when Jill went on board and at the time, April Heinrichs as well. And Christian brought them on and built a really good relationship. And basically at all the major showcases, there was a edu coaching education component to it. And the Federation played a role in that. You know, we went and I remember specifically they were in Colorado. We had a showcase in Colorado and I did a presentation and it was just really good because you sat in the room and it, and I remember the, the presentation wasn't so much about how to do things. And because I have so much, I have so much respect for the club directors and the coaches and, and a lot of times the grind that goes in in the club world and the detail, because that's, that's where it's done. I mean, on a daily basis, uh, the ECNL coaches, you know, put in the time four or five, six days a week to work with these kids. And I remember in there, I wanted to make sure I wasn't like, I didn't have the answers. I was just sharing what my process has been and what some of the things that were successful for me or some of the failures. And then it really became kind of an interactive thing um, because I always looked at it like if I was wearing a, a U.S. Federation jersey or uniform when I was out there, I, I didn't want to walk around like 
I was above anybody. I just never wanted that because again, the daily grind and work, I knew that happened on a daily basis with the Federation. I just had the luxury of working with some of the best players in the country. And so the interaction and appreciation of what they did uh, when they went back home, I always try to make that in, in part of the forefront when I have the opportunity to work with their players. So, but Christian and them continue to do that for so many years. And I know they do that right now and they do a really good job. And again, I, I'm a product of some of those opportunities that were presented to me. Well, you're a product, but you've also delivered in some of those opportunities. And I know, unlike me, you're not a bragger, but you won some titles in the ECL, I do believe, right, Damon? Can you, can you tell me, can you break down um, the championships that you won with North Carolina FC, formerly Castle? Yeah, the teams, again, it, it changed, right? So when it's, now you look at their U12 teams, U13 teams. Back then, I want to say the first age group with ECNL was U15. I want to say that's what it was. I remember it was U15 at the 94, 95 girls, and the age groups and the teams across the country were extraordinary. You throw around so many names that were part of that age group that are playing right now professionally and for their countries. We played the U15, and back then they had two different tiers of teams when you went to showcases. You played about nine games, and they kind of uh, put you in standings, but only the top four teams got to the national championship back then. And U15 went to the final four, and we lost in the semifinals. And that year, I think the Dallas Sting might have won it. But then in U16, uh, the 94-95s, we went to uh, Colorado and we won the national championship at U16. And then we went back to back at U17 for the national championship as well. And then we were going for a three-peat and we came up short in the semifinals, lost in overtime to the Ohio Premier in overtime. But it was an extraordinary group of players and, and team that I had and an extraordinary competitive platform with the ECNL. And those players all went on to have tremendous success and I'm just really proud of that. So just some amazing memories that we had. All right. So now we want to get to the point where Anson Dorrance, I call him the most successful college coach, any sport, any gender, because 43 years and 22 national championships, I think does the math. But clearly he started to take notice and he saw you winning these championships. And he also saw the players that you're working one-on-one -on -one with and you were working collectively with as teams in the ECNL. What do you remember about the first initial conversations with Anson? And what do you remember about getting to the point where you are now, the associate head coach for the Tar Heels? We started building relationships because he had recruited some of my players uh, from my club team. And so there was some interaction that went on in that respect. And then, um, you know, in 2014, I was fortunate. I was still coaching the U15 national team. Uh, and Tom Shimani was the head coach of the women's team at that time. And Tom had um, came out to a U15 national team camp and then called me up not long after that and invited me to come in with the women's team to uh, do technical training, you know, do some of the technical training with the women's team in 2014 in preparation for the World Cup. And I was really fortunate. I went into about six to eight camps during 2014, and it was extraordinary. And in that time, Anson and I were talking throughout, you know, the process and he had just talking about development. We weren't even talking about a position there or an opportunity there. And we just kind of built a relationship more so than outside of the players that he might've been recruiting from my team. I went in at the end of what, 2015, the fall of 2015, the end of that. So two years prior to that, Anson had approached me and shared interest in, in seeing if I would want to be interested in coming to be a part of the staff. And at the time, I was with the U.S. the Federation, and I was so deep in, in the development element that it just wasn't the right time for me at that point. Uh, he asked me again the next year and again declined it. Um, and anyway, it was the third year that he came and said it, and my wife kind of uh, 
supported me and pushed me and said, you know what? I think it'd be good for you to, to, why not give it a chance? We live here anyways. So Anson was really persistent and I was just so appreciative of his, um, his belief in me. For someone with the success that he had, he was looking at trying to add different pieces to his program to try and even take it to a different level than it already was at. That third year that he had asked, I, I accepted the uh, position and the opportunity and it's been you know, the best decision I've made in my career. And I'm just really, really thankful for uh, you know, him believing in me. One of the things he also believes in, and he's been on the Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, is he believes in the ECNL. He believes in the structure. He believes in the leadership. He's been outspoken about it. And of course, when the DA collapsed at U.S. Soccer, he was also out front with, you know, hey, the ECNL is still there. There's other great leagues as well. But you've heard firsthand Anson's support of the ECNL, correct, Damon? Oh, yeah, 100%. And we've had so many great conversations uh, about development, about the league, and really the vision of Christian and the board and, and all the coaches within the, within the clubs. I kind of put it similar in regards to Anson. They always want to evolve and be kind of a step ahead. And and even through some ups and downs to try and push forward and try and be a leader in the in the industry. It's always changing. That was one of the things that was sim- similar in regards to the relationship between Christian and Anson and the rest of these, you know, directors that we just knew that there was going to be, there's so much opportunity out there for these, you know, clubs. And we also heard their vision of where they wanted it to be. And we just, we had so much admiration and we knew that it was going to continue to proceed forward, even through when the DA became an organization through the Federation, you know, there were some challenges there, but the leadership stayed persistent and they persevered through it. So we have so much, uh, you know, admiration for, for the ECNL for, for where they are. Just a couple more questions with Damon Nahas, the associate head coach of the University of North Carolina women's soccer team, which by the way, tomorrow night, I'll have the call as they take on Northwestern. Of course, UNC off to a great start as always undefeated on the season and number two in the country. But Damon, I want people to picture this. You now have this office where it's open, where Anson's on one end of the office, you're on the other end. And I got to believe that was a tactical decision made by Anson that said, hey, I want you in the same room with me. I found it fascinating because a lot of times people want to go into their office, shut the door and just not be bothered. But there you two are probably figuring out scheduling, recruiting, every step, practice, nutrition, everything, right? (laughs) Yeah, you've spoken to Anson many a times and he would be the first to tell you he hates meetings. Right. He hates like the formal meetings. So really the way our office is, we basically face across each other. Now there is a door where if we really got sick of each other, we can close the door if we really wanted to. It hasn't happened yet, but it, the kind of the conversations are more organic. Like what there's development, we just kind of talk and it's kind of, we just have open discussion. It doesn't have to be anything formally organized to have these discussions about whatever it is about recruiting or about, you know, our team, about whatever it may be. We have these conversations and there's no real barrier to it. So it kind of, forms a, a comfortable setting to where we just uh, we just talk and a lot of times some of the best things have happened through just through open conversation without having to worry about setting up a time to meet with each other so it's pretty neat for anyone that has had the opportunity to see it that they know what I'm talking about but yeah I think Anson whether he did it intentionally or not it worked out like that so uh, it's, it's pretty fun in there. Big picture thinking, you know, Anson Dorrance, I mean, he could go another 30 years till he's 100, but what would it mean to you if uh, and when you do become the head coach of the UNC women's soccer team? Well, that's if that happens, right? I mean, time will tell. You know, for me, you know, when Anson brought me on, my biggest thing was to make sure that I, you know, I learned 
what it was. I was so involved in the college game, but from a different respect, I was involved from it from a recruiting standpoint because I was with club and I had so many different interactions with different college coaches and, and, you know, different ways. And when you're doing that from a club's perspective, the relationships with the college coaches is always different because they're speaking about your players. And then when I got to UNC, regardless of what might happen in the future, for me, I wanted to make sure that I, I didn't look too far ahead. I wanted to make sure that I took in every part of the experience. I mean, I got the experience with, uh, in my opinion, the best to ever do it. So for me, sitting on a daily basis, and not so much just the soccer stuff, it's more the stuff and time he puts in with the players off the field and what he does for the university, what he does for ex-players and what he does for people that reach out to him. He has so much time for people. So um, for me, I just want to make sure I soak up every bit of the information and the experience and sometimes just through observation and make sure that I, I get the most out of it. And if one day the opportunity comes where someone believes that I'm that person, then it won't be a lack of uh, time and effort in me trying to be prepared for that opportunity if that day comes. So well said. I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention your brother, Sean Nahas, as both of you guys have a great reputation in the game and with ECNL. How does it make you feel? Sean's been a member of the North Carolina Courage staff, and of course, he's done great things and won titles as well. What can you say about uh, what Sean has accomplished? Sean's, it's funny, when I left New York, I left and and we joke about it. Like, I don't even know, because I grew up, I was so busy and playing playing soccer for myself. Sean was four years younger than I was. And I don't even remember watching him play. He was always trekking around watching me play. And then all of a sudden I left to go to college and, you know, we had our, you know, our relationship, but it was, we, I, he was younger. So fast forward and then, and then he uh, started getting involved in coaching. And then our relationship grew so much when that happened, because now we had discussions together. And then Sean was looking at trying to have a change of scenery and, he came down here and we started working together with the club and he kind of built his reputation. He worked his butt off. You know, he loves the game and put so much time into it. And, you know, he's earned everything that he's, he's accomplished and any opportunities he has and will have in the future. Um, so for me as a brother, I'm, I'm so proud of him for his accomplishments and him building his, his own identity and his own path. And we get to do it and, and support each other along the way. Again, even through the ups and downs. And so I get to do this and, we have, we've had a chance when I was with the club to work together on a consistent basis, and that was a lot of fun. It's hard to put into words when you talk about your sibling and, ha and seeing their success and how proud you are. And sometimes we don't say it enough, but I'm proud of everything that uh, he has accomplished. And it's been fun having him five minutes away from me uh, um, along this journey. Great answer. Great interview. Final question is just a simple one. When you hear these four letters, what does it mean to you? The four letters are ECNL. Oh, wow. Um, I say leadership. Um, and it's not, it's, uh, I think that sums it up. I mean, the leadership that, that had the vision of trying to create something that was special, maybe fix or create a, create a solution to maybe something that didn't exist prior. Uh, and the leadership of those that had the vision and adaptability, I think is a really important word too. I think they've adapted along the way. And when you say that those leaders have kind of created a platform for these young women that are leaders and uh, ultimately that's their main vision. The ones that, that started and developed the league, I think we're going to look back, look, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, some extraordinary women that have come through this program, whether they are players, whether they're coaches that are now leading 
uh, in whether it's the game or in different industries. And uh, the direction and the leadership that the ECNL provided has created a platform for us to see some amazing uh, women in the short term, but I even think even greater in the long term. I know I speak for the ECNL when I also say they appreciate your leadership at every level with these young women and young men as you continue to establish them both at Next Level Academy and as the associate head coach for the University of North Carolina women's soccer team. Damon Nahas, thanks for breaking it down on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Really enjoyed the time spent with Damon Nahas, the associate head coach for the University of North Carolina women's soccer team, reminding you that they are on Thursday, 7 o'clock on ACC Network Extra. Then on Sunday, they'll take on Stanford, also on ACC Network Extra. So proud to have the call for both of those games and certainly proud to have spent this time with Damon Nahas. I want to thank all the great people at the ECNL, including the leadership that Damon Nahas just talked about, Christian Lavers, Jen Winnego, Jason Cutney, Doug Bracken, the entire gang at the ECNL. Also want to thank our producer, Colin Thrash, for each and every one of them and all of you. I'm Dean Linke saying we'll see you in two weeks for another edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.